Welcome to How Not to DM, the show where we interview the very best dungeon masters on this plane of existence. I'm your host, Derek. Today, I'm talking to podcast host, DM, player, and marketing extraordinaire, Kevin from Chaotic Stupid Media. Kevin DMs a live stream show in his homebrew world of Idea, plays in another streamed game called The Ruined Keep, and records a D&D advice podcast with his good friend and player, Nicola, when he's got some spare time. Kevin prides himself in the depth and detail of his games and gives great advice on what to focus on and to avoid as a new DM. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Kevin and uh, indeed I DM Tales of Adea on my Twitch channel and um, besides that indeed with Nicola we do a podcast called Chaotic Stupid in which we like to discuss everything Dungeon Master related um, and, and advice for Dungeon Masters and that sort of thing. I am now 28 years old already, uh, which is far too old, but I'm getting on there and um, I have been DMing since... I think it's now almost 10 years, but I've had a bit of an odd start in that. So I'm, I think we, we get to that in a moment. Uh, but besides that, I work in online marketing. So I like to dole out some online marketing advice as well with some other awesome folks on Twitter uh, around, you know, how to get your product out there, how to describe it, how to talk about it. So any any questions like that, also feel free to hit me up on Twitter on uh, Chaotic Stupid Co., which is where you can find me. Uh, so you mentioned you've been playing for about 10 years now. Tell us about how you got started. You know, who invited you to play or, or was it some other avenue that, that really got you interested in the game? So I have a bit of an odd history with uh, TTRPGs or, or role-playing in general because I actually started very early in 2008 on World of Warcraft. And that is where I did a lot of my early learning around storytelling. Obviously, you know, you learn a lot from television and movies and books and whatever, but a lot of the actual practice that I got role-playing characters came in text form in World of Warcraft and later on in other MMOs like the Star Wars MMO, but yeah, primarily War uh, World of Warcraft. And that is where I also started to DM for the first time. So I, I have to give a shout out here to my guild master at the time because he was an amazing storyteller. And he really got me interested in telling stories in general. But I didn't actually get around to dungeon mastering until 2017. So my experience in TTRPG dungeon mastering is quite recent. But yeah, before that, it's a bit more convoluted. But I like to think of, you know, having run what we called events at the time in World of Warcraft. It was a form of, you know, being a dungeon master as well. You had to run. All, all, all the whole setting, you had to run all the NPCs. So it was pretty much being a dungeon master, it's just we didn't have a system. Uh, so we just rolled one to 100. And if you rolled uh, arbitrarily above 50, then that was fine. But yeah, I, I, I learned a lot from that. And then D&D &D kind of was the next level for me uh, in, in the sense of, you know, actually advancing to a system in which people have rules with which they can, can resolve conflicts, which is a big thing that's missing in online role-playing games you know mmrpgs when you role play because we don't have those systems was a huge step up for me because that meant that i could actually tell stories in which bad things could happen to the players and they wouldn't be upset about it or at least you know they would be upset as in oh wow that's a crazy twist but not upset as in i don't accept this and i walk away which is very common in mmos so yeah that's <laughs> i think uh, a brief history of of dming for me but yes yeah, since 2017 i have been dming pretty much non-stop 
I finished one campaign in about two and a half years, and we are now on the second one. Uh, like that's my second major campaign. And besides that, I do a lot of one shots and I try to get people at work interested and friends that are, you know, on the fence about playing D&D or TTRPGs. I will run one shots all day long just to see if they might, you know, find their passion like I did. You mentioned you got your start in kind of MMORPGs. So when you decided to make the transition to, you know, pencil, paper, pen and paper role playing games. Yeah. Was the world building intimidating? And, and how did your first world building experience go? In my case, it, it was definitely intimidating. I think world building is inherently intimidating. And it becomes more so when you come up with these grand ideas about what you would like to build. In my case, though, it was the need to make my own world in the first place that drove me to really DM TTRPGs. So like many people, I got into uh, D&D at first because I started watching Critical Role. And that was a lot of fun. And I wanted to play. You know, I wanted to just be a player in a game. And I did that about four or five times in different games found uh, through Roll20. But every time, it wasn't the kind of game that I wanted to play in. And I couldn't blame the Dungeon Master because they play the game, you know, the way that they think is right. But once I realized that I had such specific desires and needs for a game, I realized there's no way to find this without doing it myself. And that doesn't mean that there weren't other people playing the game the way that I hoped to play, but rather that it would be such a monumental task to find them that I thought it would be better to just get started on my own. And it kind of worked out because, for example, Nicola, with whom I do the podcast as well, he plays the way I want to, and he also DMs. So when we do one shots, you know, he'll he'll run a one shot for the group, and I get to play in a game the way that I want to play. And at the same time, I'm currently guesting on the Rune Keep, which is an amazing stream. And again, I found them just by getting involved in the community, being a dungeon master myself, and then we found out that we have a lot of love for running the game in similar ways. Also, there are differences, but we we like playing the same way. So kind of by DMing, I managed to also become a player again, which has been a lot of fun. You mentioned in an episode recently with Nicola how you met him and how you kind of taken the vetting of players for your games to the next level. So tell us a little bit about that. It's my philosophy that D&D is a, is a really fun hobby, or, or TTRPGs in general are a really fun hobby, but you're going to spend a lot of time on it. And it's time that you spend to have fun, so there's no reason not to set a high standard for yourself and say, okay, these are exactly the kind of things I want to get out of it. And that means having a high standard or a specific standard for the people that you spend that time with, right? If I'm going to spend four hours every Sunday with specific people, I want to make sure that they're the people that I like and that they want to get the same out of the game that I do. So with that philosophy in mind, I was uh, I essentially just said, okay, I'm going to set up a bunch of interview questions and just run people through them. And the people who don't want to answer them, that's fine. That's up to them. But then they're not the people who belong in my game. And I think that's a philosophy that at first glance, people want to take offense because they go like, oh, but you want to be inclusive and everyone should be able to play D&D. I agree. Everyone should be able to play D&D in the way that they want to play it. And once you get over that hump, it's actually, to me, very natural, right? And it doesn't mean that you have to have, I think I had an eight question questionnaire with very open-ended essay questions that essentially they had to answer. But that doesn't mean that you have to do that. It just means that you have to find a way to make sure that the players that you're playing with have the qualities that you're looking for. That's all. And it can be very quick or very involved. Yeah, I know every 
person who's ever played D&D for a, an extended period of time has had a campaign fall apart because of people's different expectations and different playing styles. I know yeah. I've had a bunch like that. So <laughs> that, I, I think that's a, a beautiful, elegant way to solve a problem like that is, is before you even dive in, make sure that everyone's on the same page. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like a super involved session zero, essentially. You know, just from the moment that you start talking, especially if you're dealing with strangers, there's no reason not to take the time and just clarify, okay, this is what I want. Is this what you want? Uh, is this also what you want, etc.? And then once you're on one line, at least enough on one line, then you can either decide if it's worth actually pursuing the game together or if you need to find someone else. You've talked a little bit about your current game that you are running with your friends, and you told me that it's across multiple time zones and continents. Talk to us about how you make that work with so many people in so many different places. Based on the process that I had, which, by the way, I, I used my questionnaire approach in the Critical Role fan group, so I didn't have a location selector in there. You know, I was just like, it doesn't matter where you are. First, I'm going to see about finding the players that I want to play with, and then I'll see if I can actually make it work. Um, and based on that, I already... So for the first campaign, we had two players in North America... No, three players in North America and two in Europe. Now we have two players in Latin America, one in North America, and two in Europe. And it's basically just been par for the course for me because it's more just making sure that you find a slot that it works for everyone. And once you have that, just make sure that the players are willing to set that slot aside every single week. And by making sure that you have this extensive recruitment process, let's call it that, the pl I already knew that the players would be willing to make that commitment, right? Because if you have players that are less committed, that also inherently makes it harder to make it work across different time zones because people are less willing to set the time aside to make the game happen. But with these players, I know why they play. I know that they have the same attitude towards the game as I do. So when I ask them, hey, when we can't play on Sunday because two players are unavailable, let's play on Monday instead. It's not our usual time. People have to push some stuff around, but it makes sure that we have the game every, every week. And that is the other sort of aspect that really keeps my games alive, especially across different continents, is I always push to have a next game scheduled. Like if, if we can't do it this week, then we make sure that we have the time penciled in for next week already. The players are already aware, if need be, two weeks in advance, three weeks in advance in, in extreme cases, that there is always a game coming again, that they have to make that time or keep that time available. Um, because consistency is more important than anything. And um, I think that being across different time zones increases the difficulty, but that doesn't change anything about the fact that you just have to be consistent and then you can overcome those difficulties as well. In the modern world with these technologies where we mm. can play across all these different time zones and, and continents, I think that those principles hold steady, that as long as everyone's on the same page and prioritizes and, yeah. and you're, you're making time for it, then it will happen. Definitely. All right, let's transition into your DMing experience. So I, I love to ask everyone that comes on the show, what are the worst mistakes you have made as a DM? And what can everyone who, who hasn't made those mistakes yet learn from them? Well, funnily enough, I think that my answer sort of ties into what we were just talking about, uh, which is that the, probably the worst outright mistake that I allowed to happen is my eagerness to play overpowered my ability, my, my patience, and I didn't take the time to find the games that actually were suited for me. So I wanted to play so badly that I settled 
or groups in which I wouldn't be happy and in groups that weren't happy with me as a result. And that's how I ultimately, of course, came to being a dungeon master. But I think that, again, yeah, that being willing, uh, being able and willing to have that patience for finding the right group is is incredibly important because that, for me, it almost turned me off playing D&D entirely in the first place because I thought to myself, oh God, I'm never going to find a group to play the way that I want. And even if I DM myself, you know, I wasn't sure if I was going to find the players that would suit my play style. In terms of in, in the actual game, having made any, any like major mistakes, well, in the first campaign, we set up all the players with very involved backstories. So all the player characters already had a history together. And that was something I really wanted to push because we wanted to have this narrative style where we really delve into the characters' backgrounds and stories and emotions. And we wanted the characters to have a foundation together instead of just being four random adventurers that happened to find each other. But ultimately what I allowed was for one of the players who got a little bored with his character to retire that character. And I think that was a mistake because I was then forced to find a way to introduce a new character that could have some sort of backstory again with the players. And it, it, it created a situation in which this character had to be integrated and it just did not feel as natural as having the old character there. And that doesn't mean that I think you should force a player to play a character that they're bored of, but there are other ways to resolve that situation rather than just giving in and allowing the, play, uh, the player to get a different character entirely. So I think that was the biggest mistake that I made outright because indirectly it started to lead to tension in the group and ultimately we actually had a, a hiatus uh, during which we sort of uh, reevaluated some things and ultimately we ended up playing again but without that player involved altogether which is quite sad because he was a good friend but it just didn't click anymore because we found ourselves drifting apart over the story and the direction uh, that we wanted to take it in. Yeah, it, it, it can be hard sometimes, but I think um, for the good of the group, it, it's good to have those kinds of conversations and make sure everyone's comfortable and, you know, is, is willing to continue with the how things are or change things if they need to be changed. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, I think that that mistake was also rooted in the fact that as a dungeon master, I wasn't willing to say no to certain things yet, which if you know, if you know, for people who know me, that is quite uncommon because I say no to everything that I feel is, is necessary. But uh, in this case, you know, we were all having fun and I was like, okay, well, you, you seem unhappy, so I'll allow it. But realistically, I already had in the back of my head that I should find a different solution. I just didn't do it. So I think listening to those instincts and at least talking it through would have been much more beneficial because then even if we introduce a new character, it would have been more well thought out than the way that it was done now. So let's kind of transition to to your DMing style and, and the way you run your games. Um, talk us through your process as you're preparing for a game that you're going to stream. What's the difference between you know the streaming games versus your normal home games that you were playing before you decided to share your content? So the biggest difference is obviously actually managing the stream. Um, but also for the stream, I started to standardize things a little bit more. So for example, my introduction. Uh, my introduction now always starts with the, the location, the time of the year, and the year itself in, in world. Um, because I find it sets a nice precedent, but also it's nice from episode to episode to have a sort of similar introduction. And I, I learned this from the Rune Keep actually, but they do this really cool thing of there's always sort of the, the Rune Keep itself 
as a location appears as a sort of character in the introduction. That's where you always start out and then you zoom into the players. And I really like that. So I use the, the location and the time and sort of standardizing that has, has given me my first entry point into the story for the coming week. So I, I use that to recap where we are. And from there, I start to outline the elements of what might be coming up next. But other than that, it hasn't changed my, my preparation too much for every week because my preparation isn't too standardized in the first place. So there isn't, it's not like I, before we started streaming that I was doing everything the same way every week. It's more that because I focus so much on the player backstories, one week I'll be spending you know five hours preparing a battle. The next week I'm spending you know six hours writing intricate dream sequences and things like that. So not necessarily impacted by, by streaming, but more just by what might be coming up in the game. I really like to adapt to whatever's happening every week and make sure that the players have all of the possible background and details that they might need in that session coming up which is difficult because you need to predict what they're going to be interested in. But knowing my players well, I, I'm very thankful that I'm able to do that. I actually, in listening to a few of your, your streams and, and watching them, I feel like you are very good at setting the scene and, and making sure that your, your players understand all the things that they could interact with or that they may notice. Uh, so other than that, what are some of the other things that you feel like make your DMing style unique and different? I think it's best summed up in a compliment that I once received, which I'm still very thankful for from one of my original players, in which they said that no matter the character that they interact with, it always feels like there's a whole world within them, right? And it's, it's this concept called, I think it's called Sonder, which is, you know, at some point as a human being, you become aware of that every single person that you meet in the world has their own internal world that is as expansive as your own. And that is a sense, a feeling that I want to inspire in my players constantly. I want them to feel that every single character is not just three-dimensional, but fully dimensional. Like it has all the possible dimensions of a real person, even when I don't have time or when we don't have all the information about a character, but it still needs to be hinted at. And I think that's something that sets me, or, or that is one of my skills, is making these characters come to life. Because I'm not, you know, I'm not super great at voices. I'm not uh, amazing at accents or anything like that. I, I like to try, but you know, it's not my my strength. But this is because it comes through in the choices that they make. It comes through in the topics in the world that the the characters find important. And by making sure that the characters come to life, the players are also more interested in them because they get to ask questions of a real person instead of just ticking off a question or like a list of questions, and then they know that there's no more information to be had. And uh, so, so for me, yeah, outlining that and, and essentially giving these characters motivations and drives and activities that they're always involved in makes the world feel much more full and alive to me. Transitioning to the content of your games, what are some of your favorite monsters or NPC encounters or, or other kinds of things you like to challenge your players uh, with? Oh, okay. That's a big question. So monsters, I'm actually quite sparse with my use of monsters. But I, I would say, honestly, as, just as a, as a DM, beholders are my favorite to, to use ever. Uh, they're just so much fun. And the look of horror on my players' faces is always worth it. I actually had an encounter that I set up. I like to run very deadly encounters, but in a situation in which there is a sort of out. You know, so like a level four party that runs up into a beholder and then that beholder turns into a death tyrant. But then it turned out that they were stuck in a time loop so they could get back 
but they were dying and then coming back to life. So I, I like those kinds of encounters because they get to deal with something super difficult. It, it has all the elements of being extremely scary and, and overpowering, but it doesn't immediately end the game. Uh, so, so those encounters for me are, are really fun to do. I also like to throw sort of things into the background. So in the current campaign about, I think it's now uh, six months ago, the players set out from a town and it started raining like crazy. And it just wouldn't stop raining for several days. And then in the sky, one of the players finally noticed that there was just an enormous creature, some sort of elemental god that was, you know, just in their normal world, but flowing through the sky. And then that creature was eventually defeated by another mythical person that exists in the world that they'd only heard of so far. So I like to use these sort of show that happens outside of their immediate influence, but they can still see the effects of it to sort of flesh out the world as well and remind them that there are still very vastly greater powers in the world than their own. So those are also a lot of fun to me. And then, yeah, NPCs. I mean, I have so many of them because of how urbanized my world is that NPC encounters are are definitely some of the heaviest. But my favorite is probably when the party in my first campaign had to take back a a ship that belonged to one of the player characters backstories and they had to negotiate with a pirate queen and the pirate queen was just such an amazing character to play you know she was she had all the swagger of a pirate but she had all the power of a queen so they were just completely terrified of her and they walked on eggshells around her no matter what like even when they were level 18 they were on eggshells around her and that character has been so much fun to play around with and use sparingly because powerful characters shouldn't be present all the time because it diminishes you know, how powerful they seem. But when I got to use her, that was probably by far my favorite character to, to use in those sessions. What is your favorite memory of improvisation or combat or role play from one of your games? Oh gosh, I mean, there have been multiple moments over the years. So... I feel a little sad that I don't recall all of them since we haven't been streaming. Um, you know, we didn't stream the first campaign and we didn't stream the start of the second campaign either. But there have recently also been some where players just feel inspired to to have this sort of outburst so so that they can, you know, showcase a different side of their character in a way that we hadn't expected or really emphasize an aspect of the character, such as uh, Tani. She had a moment where she was trying to think of ideas and well, the whole party was actually, they were brainstorming. And at some point, Tani just interrupts and goes like, hold on, hold on, hold on. I feel a thought coming. And it was just so funny because Tani is usually a bit slow and she's usually a bit, doesn't understand things. And then she was just like, I feel a thought coming. And we just broke. Like all of us were on the floor laughing basically, because it was just the perfect delivery for a character that, would say exactly that. So yeah, I think throwaway lines for me are, the, are definitely the most memorable. Although so much of what the players do is obviously improvised uh, in that sense that, you know, their greatest moments throughout the campaign are pretty much all of them would be among my favorite memories because they, they really, you know, they're amazing players and they embrace the role-playing and they embrace their characters to such a degree that when we're in the session, they completely embody those characters and they respond entirely in character, which is why I don't consider it improvised anymore. They're just being 
those characters for the time being. And they, they, they bring them to life so fantastically and they explore the depths of their characters where, you know, the, the tensions between party members who have potentially different values and the tension between friends that look at a situation differently because they have different priorities and also the way that they support each other. So Tani, again, has also recently discovered that she has a gap in her memory and that she might be associated with the cult of the dragon in that, in that memory gap. So she told the party about that and the party just had like a 15 or 20 minute session where they just sat around the table and listened to her talk and then just reassured her that no matter what she did in the past, she is who she is now. And all of them pitched in to reassure Tani, the character. And it was just, it was beautiful. Like it was genuinely heartfelt and moving and very honest and still in character. Each of them was purely in character. And I would say that's probably one of my favorite moments all around from the current campaign. There's something incredibly satisfying about building a world, building building all these situations, and then seeing how creative your players can be in filling those gaps and, and creating these yeah. moments that stick out in your mind yeah. like this. It's, uh, it's yeah, absolutely. It's, it's why yeah. we do it. What are your parting words of wisdom and encouragement to new and aspiring DMs? Don't start too big with world building is, is my favorite advice to give in general um, because people look at DMing as this monumental task and it, it, it sort of is, right? It is a huge responsibility that you take onto yourself, but it is not as big as people sometimes think it is. You don't need a whole world in your head. You don't need to have a globe with, you know, 100 different countries and 25 million different people. You just need an idea of where to begin, and then you can build it out from there. So don't start too big is definitely my favorite advice to give to new and aspiring dungeon masters to get started, um, because it it is a matter of just sort of starting small and floundering forward until you find your footing, you find things that you do well that you can then build on further and it is such a shame to see people who have an amazing imagination stop themselves from playing dungeon masters or even playing characters because they think that they couldn't do it and the truth is no one can do it from the start that's why you start learning right that that's where it begins so just start small try it and you will get better and it is you know, however you start is also already good enough. You will just still get better over time. That's just how learning works. So that that would be my, my parting words of wisdom. Start small and, and know that whatever you're yeah, doing is good definitely. enough. It's a good soundbite. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Kevin, for joining me. Do you have any projects that you're working on? Anything you want to plug while you're here? I think I'll plug mainly our, our actual sessions. So on Sundays at 6 p.m. CEST, that is noon EST, you can find us on twitch.tv forward slash chaotic stupid media, where we play Tales of Adea, which is our very, very detailed and involved political D&D 5e campaign. Then next to that, I am, as I mentioned earlier, I am a guest on the Ruined Keep, and I love their stream so much. Where you know the DM for the Ruined Keep and I are very good friends now, and I want to plug them as well. So watch the Ruined Keep on Tuesdays at 9 p.m. CEST, so that is 2 p.m. EST, because I also get to guest there, so you get to see me as well. 
All right. Thanks a ton, Kevin, for being our guest. And we loved your advice. And uh, yeah, everyone go check out the Ruin Keep. Thanks so much for listening to How Not to DM. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a review and share this episode with your friends and family around your table. For episode guest announcements, links to our Discord community, blog, and social media accounts, visit at HN2DM on Twitter. If there's a DM out there who you think would be cool to hear from on the show, email us at hownottodm at gmail.com and we'll be in touch. Our awesome intro and outro music is by my good friend Torin. And until next week, roll some Nat 20s for me.